Attention, Midwest firefighter. Attention, Midwest firefighter. We have a large wildland fire reported west of town near the Smith residence. Well, everybody, we're back with another episode of the Midwest Firefighter, and uh, in the studio today, we've got Kelsey, Aaron, and Greg, and on the phone, we we got a special guest with us, LJ Geist. Thanks for joining us, LJ. Hey, it's good to be back on with you guys. It's been a few months. It has been. It was a little more pleasant last time we had you with the weather-wise versus what it is now, so. Without a doubt. It'll be back to them cool temperatures before we know it, and we'll be back in Nebraska at the last Inker conference having fun. There you go. And and speaking of that, I was going to get to a little bit later, but uh, even before that, I think you're coming near us to McCook for the Frenchman Valley Mutual Aid uh, conference. I'm actually, yes, I'm actually coming to Nebraska once in September and once in October. So, yeah, we'll be coming for the Mutual Aid uh, conference. And, uh, and then I'll be going back up. Uh, one of the guys that was in one of my classes at the Les Luker conference invited me up and I'm going to be speaking in McCook, Nebraska as well. Awesome. I tell you what, guys, listeners out there, if you haven't had a chance to listen to LJ do, um, it is, is well worth your time and, and the price of admission. Cause it's a, it's a great, great talk. So, um, but LJ, would you start off with just telling us a little bit about yourself, um, and as far as getting into the fire service, uh, how did you get in and, and a little bit of your experiences? So I, I got into, a, into the fire service in kind of a, a, a way that probably most people uh, have not experienced. It was actually over, over a cup of coffee. Uh, I was living in a small town in western Oklahoma, um, enjoying a cup of coffee with a guy. He was quite a bit older than me, and he kind of became a, another grandpa to my kids. And he said, hey, uh, this is back in 2008. He said, hey, our volunteer department needs some help. Uh, we need some volunteers. Would you be interested? And I said, absolutely. So fill out an application. Uh, you know, a lot of volunteer departments, they still vote people on. And uh, I got voted on. And that's when the drought down in Oklahoma hit. And it was over 100 degrees for I don't remember how many consecutive days. Got to go on some big, big uh, grass fires, and that was before I knew anything about wildland. And then uh, fell in love with it, and I knew that I wanted to become a career firefighter. And so in 2012, I went career, and um, and now uh, I'm in Garden City, Kansas, uh, is where I my my career department is, and I'm the driver. Uh, one of the drivers uh, on the downtown firehouse number one, and then I'm also a volunteer in my hometown of Scott City, where I was born and raised at, and where I currently reside. Oh, that's awesome! That's that's good to see that you know you started with the volunteer and, and worked your way up. Um, now, recently, uh, we've seen some of your Facebook posts and whatnot about uh, a wildland. Tr- I don't want to call it transition, but just another uh, venture into the wildland side. So. You want to talk a little bit about why you want to go get a red card and start getting experience in that? You bet. So it it really piqued my interest, I would probably say, four or five years, not even – probably four or five years ago, but I didn't have the resources available to reach out to. Or, and I don't know that what – I didn't have the resources available. I just didn't know who to reach out to. And so I just got online and started doing some uh, – some, 
looking at things on my own, some research, and found out, you know, you, you need your S-190, your S-130. So I just went online and got all that, and nothing ever happened with it until uh, last, a year ago, June, we had a, a big fire in the, at my career department that was started during wheat harvest. And one of those days that it was 105 degrees out, 10% RH, um, 50, 60 mile an hour winds, and we ended up getting aircraft up in the air. The Kansas Forest Service came in. And so after that fire, our department decided that we should get a wildland team going. And uh, one of the one of the guys on the wildland team, he's been wildland for about 15, 20 years, been on every big fire in the West. And so he helped us really get going on that. And a bunch of us got our red cards, got our field days done, uh, our pack test, everything. And the next thing you know, um, three of us from my department are in Alaska. So it transitioned really quick, uh, something I never dreamed of in my life. Yeah, no, we were we were kind of joking around. We're like, oh, cool, you know, LJ's got his red card and doing some stuff. Next thing we know, you're posting pictures of Alaska. We're like instantly jealous of your experience. So that is. Yeah, so, I mean, if you got, if you want to wait later, we can talk about it. Or if you kind of want to, you know, if you want to kind of learn how that deal came about, we can we can visit now or we can visit later. But it was a pretty wild deal how that came about. So no, it I'm... was well worth it, though. Yeah, I think let's dive right into it. That's that's what we want to know. How was Alaska? It, um, I can tell you this: it is unlike any other place you will ever go in your life. Whether whether you're going on a on a wildland assignment, vacation, anything, it is just a whole. It's almost its own country up there. So uh, where we went, we were in the Toke Forest Division, and we covered eight and a half million acres, and so. Uh, the the Tanana Valley where Toke Alaska is located at they are very receptive to lightning strikes and the week that we got deployed up there they had had over 30,000 lightning strikes in that week alone and this is and this is the time leading up to us getting deployed and so I got a phone call on a Wednesday and said hey we might possibly be going to Alaska would you be interested in going and I'm like well uh, yeah put me down and so <laughs> Um, we, nothing was really ever said the rest of that day, uh, Thursday afternoon, uh, there was a group text that said, guys, we're going to Alaska. Um, we need to have a zoom meeting tonight at seven o'clock. Our resource order came through our emails at five 30. We had our zoom meeting. Um, and then, uh, our airline tickets came in at seven 30 and I was leaving my house at five o'clock the next morning to head to Wichita to go get on an airplane. Well, that and happened so, fast. It happened extremely quick. So we landed in Fairbanks at 1230 Alaska time. Friday night, got up early, drove to Toke, uh, had our two-hour briefing with the Forester there. And Saturday night, I was on a helicopter getting flown out to a fire. So that was probably, besides just being in Alaska, that was probably the coolest part is that uh, the fire that every one of us from the Kansas Forest Service went on uh, we were flown into because they were not accessible by by vehicles of any kind. So we we got to fly in a lot of helicopters. Um, you had to be ready to go at a moment's notice. Um, you had to be you had to be able to survive for seventy two hours with your MREs in the water. And yeah, what a what what an experience! It's something that I'll never forget. It was it was amazing. But I can tell you that Alaska will test every ounce of your being whether it's on the fire line working 16 hour days 
uh, spiking out in bear country when by sp- by spiking and I mean camping, um, the hiking, you know, that we had a hike that we had to get dropped off and some stuff called tussocks. And, and we had to hike up to the ridge of the, of the, I wouldn't call it a mountain, but it was a pretty, pretty good size hill. Uh, we'd call them mountains in Kansas, Nebraska, probably. But, <laughs> um, I will tell you that that was the most physically demanding thing I'd ever done in my life. But we got up there and, um, just what a, what a neat experience. It was, I, I could, I could go on for two hours about the experiences and the people I met, but, um, I hope that every person who, who enjoys wildland fires gets to experience Alaska one time. Cause it's an amazing place to go fight fire. Did you know all the guys that you were going up there with? Have you met them all personally prior to that? No. So I knew, I knew the, the two other guys from garden city fire that went with me. And I had briefly met our lead boss, who is a DFMO in northeast Kansas for the Kansas Forest Service. And I met him one time at a mitigation burn last March and visited with him for about five minutes. And that is all I knew from the 11 people that went up there with us. But I can tell you that out of all the people, you know, crews I've worked with, um, and I'm not, I'm not degrading my crew at my firehouse cause I, I am very fortunate to have a solid crew at my firehouse, but, um, this, this group of people were very special people. We bonded immediately. We clicked right away, but a lot of it guys, we didn't have a choice because we were 70, 80, 90 miles from civilization and it was us. And so we became each other's family and strong backbones pretty quick. Well, and, and you know, just listening through your lecture and, and part of this story, what a better way to tie your lecture, you know, with your leadership lecture to this experience as well. Oh, a hundred percent. You know, it's, that's crazy. You say that because there were numerous times I'm sitting, you know, I'm sitting on that mountain, whether it's getting up at six in the morning and having a cup of coffee with the crew or, you know, sweating our asses off on the fire line digging line or whether it's going back to camp that night or trading mres on the hill you know there are so many times that i just thought about crew integrity and and discipline and and just getting to know one another and having fun i mean crap we were in alaska digging line around fires on a mountain and flying in helicopters what's better than there's nothing better than that and so there were many times i actually that it's crazy you said that because i thought about that several times when I was up there. Oh, that's awesome. And, and, you know, a lot of the times when we, we teach classes, wherever we pull from personal experiences. So, you know, I'm actually anxious to try to set through your lecture again and see what you uh, implement into it after this. So. Yeah, there I'm working on that stuff as we speak. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. So, uh, LJ, while you're up in Alaska, what uh, what sort of wildlife did you get a experience up there? <laughs> oh, I knew that question was going to come up. You you are not going to believe this. Um, I spiked out for the fourteen work days we were up there. I think I spiked out for six or seven nights. Is all I got to do. Um, I didn't see one moose. I didn't see one black bear. Not one grizzly bear, none of it. And I think a lot of that is because when there's a they up there they call them smokes. So once there's a smoke that is that is uh, found, uh, 
they send helicopters up and they, you know, they do a recon mission of it. They go try to do recon missions on trying to find landing zones without having to send guys, dropping guys off and having them hike in. And so, um, I, and then once a crew gets in there, you know, we're using chainsaws. There's people are talking, there's just so much going on plus the fire and the lightning strikes. And I, you know, those animals, they're smart, they're smart. And so I think that they knew that there was things going on. Uh, at the 333 fire, there was a grizzly bear. Uh, we actually got um, taken off the mountain off that fire because of some. We had a ton of trees falling over on us, and so they took us off the mountain, put a saw team up there. And the night that we did that crew swap, um, there was a grizzly bear that came into camp exactly where we were camping. And so it. Uh, it was pretty – I was really hoping to see some wildlife up there, but I didn't get to see any. So backing up here just a little bit, how did your department get tied in with the Forest Service to be able to go? It is a lot of paperwork, um, a lot of discussion. Uh, the, Chris, the guy that has been doing wildland stuff for 15 or 20 years, um, he had a huge influence on it, and I think just the – the willingness of a bunch of people to put ourselves out there and give it a shot. Um, so we are actually what is called a cooperator with the Kansas forest service. Okay. And so, you know, we can, we can send out, you know, we might just send a chase pickup that has our crew in it and a whole bunch of gear in it. And we'll, you know, if we're driving, driving to a fire, you know, we might go to Idaho or Colorado or, you know, Wyoming or something with a chase vehicle, or we might take one of our brush rigs. And so that's, that's how we got tied in with the department or with the Kansas forest service. Of course, they send out a representative to look at your brush rigs. Um, you know, they've got to inspect all that stuff, which is completely understandable. And then, uh, and then after that, you know, there's a lot of talk from the, you know, the fire chief to, you know, the city manager and assistant city manager, city commission, you know, the pay rates that there's just a lot of, there's a lot of back work that goes into that that I'll never know about, but it is, it does take time. Um, and I'm really hoping that this deal works out because, uh, I'm ready to, I'm ready to get sent out again. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm ready to go out again. Yeah. You're pretty lucky to be able to ride a helicopter on your very first trip out. I pretty much got to do everything on a wildland fire for the, my first ever national deployment that, well, I mean, there's probably people that'll be in wildland for 20 years and never get to ride a helicopter yep. or go to Alaska. And so, yes, you are, you are certainly correct. I, I, I got very, very spoiled, um, with being able to do what I got to do up there without a doubt. I was very fortunate. So was the ground pretty swampy where you're at? So, so there were parts of it that were, so, the second fire that I went to, uh, they flew us off the highway because any any fire within five miles of a highway in the tote division, uh, it had it was 100% suppression, and so uh, the second fire I went to, it was barely inside the five mile mark, and they dropped us off in some stuff called tussocks, and tussocks are clumps of grass that are anywhere from one to four foot tall, and it's real and it's marshlands underneath it. Uh, and with us carrying our PG bags, our line packs, uh, chainsaws, Pulaski's gas, oil for the chainsaws, all that stuff, 
um, you know, we were all carrying an additional 8,200 pounds through that. And it actually took us about an hour and a half to walk a quarter mile through that stuff. It was absolutely miserable. Oh man. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was that it, it, it sucked. And then, you know, then we had to walk up the ridge and, you know, if you're walking straight up the ridge, you know, it might've only been, it might've only been a, a mile or a mile and an eighth up there. By the time you zig and zag through all the trees and the brush, I don't know how, I don't know how far we walked total, but I can, it, yes. But to answer your question, there's a ton of marshlands. Um, I've got a ton of pictures when I was on the hell attack crew for a couple of days. There's so much water in Alaska. It is unreal. So this time of year when you're up there, is it daylight 24 hours or is there some dark time? There was. So I would probably say that the first week we were there, uh, it would get dusk, but it seemed like it never got dark. But the last week we were there, I would probably venture to say around midnight to 1230, it would get dark. I don't, I don't know for how long because we usually went to bed about midnight or 1230. Um but uh, it, it would be dark for I don't, an hour, hour and a half maybe. But I do know that the second week we're up there is when they started losing like five minutes of daylight per day. And so, yeah, it, it did get dark. And I, a lot of us were a little bit worried if we we're going to be able to sleep at night. But I can see after pulling a 16-hour day on the fire line, you're so tired that you're going to sleep. You're going to sleep about anywhere you can. A hundred percent. And we – there were times that we literally slept anywhere that we could that we could sleep. I mean, there the trees up there. There were times they were so thick that we had to. Um, we actually used on that second fire. We had to cut in a landing zone. Uh, the morning we finally made made it to the fire or within proximity, and we actually had to use the landing zone as our camp because the the trees were so thick, and uh, that's that kind of sucked because because it was our landing zone, we had to take camp down every single morning, which wasn't a big deal. Um, it took a few minutes, but yeah. So, um, you would definitely sleep wherever you could sleep at times. How was the mosquitoes up there? Absolutely horrible. (laughs) That, oh my God, it absolutely horrible. So they actually give you, um, at the at the warehouse when they send you out on a fire they give you these little bottles and it's 100 percent deep and you just spray that stuff on your hands and you just wipe it all over your face your neck your ears your head i mean everywhere those mosquitoes the night that we got the night that we got dropped off in those tussocks we didn't make it to the landing zone that night because it was like midnight or 12 30 by the time we finally um knew that we weren't at the correct landing zone spot that they wanted cut it out or wanted cut out so we just spiked out, I mean, literally in this group of trees, which it was all trees at that point on the, on the ridge, but that it was the worst mosquitoes. I've never seen something like that in my life. I'll never complain about mosquitoes in Kansas ever again. <laughs> oh, that's what you see. Yeah, absolutely horrible. Yeah. Well, I've seen your post, so that was one of the questions we had to make sure we got in. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We wore mosquito nets. If you weren't on the fire line, if you were back up at camp, the only time that the mosquitoes really didn't bug us is obviously around the fire line. And then um, in the heat of the afternoon, as long as you were sitting in direct sunlight, they weren't bad. But the second you got any shade or it started cooling off in the, in the, uh, in the evening times, 
those dudes came out with a vengeance and they were coming to they were coming to eat you so you had to have a mosquito net on um pretty much all the time and like when you got in your tents to go to sleep at nighttime whatever you put in your tent you would open that door real quick throw it in there and then once you got in your tent you would get in there as fast as you could and zip it back up because if you if you left any opening your tent was going to be plumb full of mosquitoes the next morning oh, that's terrible yeah not not an enjoyable experience with mosquitoes everything else was fun but that was horrible yeah so what was it what was the temperature like up there so we did have some days in the 90s we had about every realm of temperature that you could think of during that time of of being in alaska i think one morning uh i woke up and i was freezing cold we had a heavy dew come in i think i i did carry my phone even though i didn't have service but um it would pick up the temperature for me and i think one morning it was like 45 degrees one morning when i woke up and i'm sleeping in my boxers and a hoodie because you always took your your stuff you wore on the fire line you never slept in it and then you always took your socks off to let your feet breathe from all the hiking we did. And I was freezing that morning, and that's why I checked the weather. But I think it ended up getting up to like 94, 95 degrees that day. Hmm. Wow. That's quite so, a swing. I uh, had some – yeah, it is. There's a – yeah. And then, of course, we had uh, a couple days of rain. Uh, I think the Saturday that we drove from Toke back to Fairbanks, uh, it was like 52 degrees and raining. So, yeah, you can – there's about every type of, of weather up there that you could imagine. Uh, we actually got stuck. The first fire was on. We were actually supposed to leave the mountain that day, get flowing off of it, and we ended up getting stuck up there for about an additional eight hours because we had to wait for thunderstorms to get through so the helicopters could fly and come get us. Okay. Wow. Very good. Well, uh, we know you got a schedule to keep, so we'll get this thing wrapped up, but we appreciate your time, LJ, and uh, – all the listeners out there, make sure you get the opportunity to listen to them. Uh, I believe it's October 15th in McCook, Nebraska for the French and Valley Mutual Aid. Um, get signed yes. up for that. That's a, an excellent class. Yep. And the and the Big 8 Mutual Fire, Fire School, I think, is that the name of it? The one in uh, Oskiala as well in September. And I think that's September – I'd have to look at my calendar. September 16th, it's a Saturday, I believe. I okay. think you're right. I'll be in Oskiala. I'll be in Oskiala, Nebraska for that as well. So, um, yeah, let's uh, let's get the let's get the rooms packed and let's get all the hands-on classes filled up because it's going to be some it's going to be some great stuff. And it's always I enjoyed my time up in Nebraska last year and or earlier I guess this year, and I'm ready to get back and and meet some more people. So it's going to be a good time. Awesome. Well, thank you, LJ. We appreciate your time and all the listeners. Make sure you hit up the the Facebook page and and like and share the episode so we can share the the good word with everybody hey thanks for your time i always appreciate talking with you guys and we'll see you soon yep stay safe thanks lj you bet